Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dory Shafrier. And as we say, we're not experts. We're not. We're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Hello, Dory. Hello, Kate. I was trying to rack my brain about what serums I put on this morning. Oh, and? And I did put on a vitamin C serum. Well, I, I was just thinking I, I last night... I got home late and I had makeup on and I did my Pond's cold cream followed by a basic cleanser. I really respect your commitment to the Pond's, I have to say. I find the Pond's cold cream works. I love that for you. It does the job. Now, I think it also does the same job as any other kind of makeup removing balm I've ever put on. And the scent doesn't bother you. This is unscented. Okay. Smells like nothingness. Okay. So yes, last night I did do a bit of a Pons situation. And then this morning I put on a vitamin C serum. So ever since Dr. Whitney Bow told us about how vitamin C serum like helps with sun or you, something. You have been diligent. I have been pretty diligent. Colleen Rothschild sent some stuff to me and one of those things was a vitamin c serum and i actually have really been liking it now was it like immediate after we talked to dr whitney you were like got to get back on the vitamin c train well i had kind of been thinking about it and then colleen rothschild sent me some products and i was like well might as well just try this and i've been i've been liking it well my vitamin c serum right now is from clore Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a beautiful skincare line that I love. It's called Brilliant. Brilliant. Why can't I talk? It's called Brilliant Light. And I like to think that that's what I am. A brilliant light? Yeah. yeah. A brilliant light. You are. You know? You are, Kate. Me and this vitamin C serum are a brilliant light. Yeah. I, <laughs> that also also made an impact on me. I think because she articulated what it yes, does. Yes, what it does. Exactly. Which, you know, you'd think I would like to know that about other things, but for some reason that had just never dawned on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does this do? I don't know. (laughs) 
Do I use it? Sure. <sighs> Not the best approach to think. Well, uh, to things. I will say after our conversation with Dr. Whitney, I have been way more diligent about my sunscreen and my sun protection. And also, oh. um, Elizabeth Holmes Stewart shared in her newsletter her experience with skin cancer and getting it removed. And that was also a reminder that, you know, I just, I really do need to be and want to be extra careful of protecting my skin. That kind of surprises me because I always saw you as someone who was very diligent about sunscreen. Is that not accurate? No, I am. But I think that's the reapplication part that I always kind of... Okay. That I think is is often what is reiterated as really the most kind of crucial thing, right? Like I think I think because sometimes it's in our moisturizer and we put that on in the morning mm-hmm. or we put sunscreen on separately in the morning. I, I can only speak for myself, but sometimes, you know, my brain's like, I have sunscreen on, but like seven hours have passed. Yes. Yes. I will usually try to reapply if I I'm going outside. I I don't generally reapply if I've only been inside, though. That seems reasonable. So, full disclosure. I did. I ran into a friend on the street yesterday, and he was like, "Wow, you're dressed very on brand." I was just going for like a morning walk, and I was in my Kirkland brand hat, baseball cap, and he was like, "Your Costco oh brand stuff," and then you're in a sun protection shirt. <laughs> Like, I guess that is my brand. Wow. Costco and sun protection. Costco and sun protection. That's, I'm proud of that. I was going to say, like, there are worse things to be known for. Yeah, like many worse things. Many worse things. That seems like I'm doing pretty good if a friend who has known me for almost 25 years affiliates me with Costco and sun protection. Yeah. I feel good about that. Also, I love that you ran into someone, like, on the street. Yeah. That's so New York of you. Well, I do a lot of, I live in kind of a residential part of Los Angeles where people are always out and about going for walks. Mm. And we're also middle-aged. This is also true. He was walking his dog with his coffee and I was just on a power walk. Oh my gosh, amazing. I am really enjoying walking. Someone told me, a friend and I were talking about how there is, now I'm going to misspeak, but like um, a way in which walking like the pattern of walking can kind of help like trauma reliefs a little oh, bit oh okay i need to do a bit more we this was just a chat we were having about kind of the benefits of walking and how it can feel really good like when you are stressed or upset or com- mm. like just after therapy or processing a really hard thing Ooh, i love that how a walk is so beneficial well and you know like i do think i love trying to expand my thinking about exercise. Yes. And the impact it can have on mental and emotional health and not just physical health. You know, it's so funny you say that because I when this airs, I will be away. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how I'm probably not going to be able to do any of the physical activity that I typically do at home. Like I'm not going to bring my tennis racket. Right. Um, Not going to be like taking the strength class I take at the gym. Not going to be doing deadlifts. Not going to be doing deadlifts. 
And when you just said that, it occurred to me that I had been kind of like bummed about it. But in the past, it would have been because like, I didn't want to gain weight or I didn't want to like, you know, get out of shape. And now I'm thinking about it as like, oh, I'm going to like miss doing those things because those are things I really love to do. I, I hear you. And I don't know if you felt this way kind of along those lines, but the disruption of routine, like the, dis- the disruption of like every, you know, I often get thrown when things like that happen because mm-hmm. I'm so used to being on this routine. Mm-hmm. And then when it's disrupted, it really throws me. But sometimes I think that's also for the, for a, it's a good thing to have to process now and then. Totally. I, I was um, back at my trusty old pickleball lesson this week. And I hadn't been there for a month because I, you know, pulled my groin and it had some travel and some, I had a lot of family stuff happening. And one, it was the best like pickleball I've ever played in my life. Wow. Fucking killing it. My coach was like, whoa, where have you been? I was like, um, crying. Like, I don't know what to tell. I've been, you know, processing stuff. So I don't know why it's coming out here. But I felt like I was like soaring. That's really cool. I was so out of my head in terms of thinking about the rest of my life. Yes. And so in the moment of being present, it felt amazing. That's really cool. That was what was like felt the best about. I mean, it was so fun. I was having a blast doing it. But just the feeling of being free from um, everything else going on in my brain. And I've stopped wearing my Apple Watch. Mm. And often I wear my Apple Watch at Pickleball. And I'll be like glancing down and I'll, I'll be making sure like if I have a text from you, I'll check it. or And my text will ping on my wrist. Or I always make sure like if my kids need me and... It was like a little scary and exhilarating to be completely untethered. And I am trying to be, as you know, and as some folks know who listen, like untethered from digital distractions. Mm -hmm. And I just started reading Jenny O'Dell's first book. Oh, yeah. I never read it. You know why I started reading it? Why? Because Rachel Cargill mentions it in her book. Oh, yes, she does. And I was like, well, I I loved Rachel's book. And Rachel's book felt like I was like, I need to keep, I want to keep reading some of the suggested reading that Rachel had listed. And so I started reading, I finished Rachel's book, which we will talk more about, which I loved so much. And I have just started listening to Jenny O'Dell's book, How to Do Nothing. Which mm-hmm. came out in 2019. Yes. And she also had a book come out this year called Saving Time, which I would like to read as well. But I'm mm-hmm. starting with How to Do Nothing. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm trying to free myself of the Apple Watch and of like any sort of watch. So like I, I'm freeing myself from knowing how many steps I stepped. Wow, Kate, this is big. You know? Hey, I turn 44 in a couple days, so trying to go into this next rotation around the sun with a lot like a mindful presence. I love this. 
Kate, actually, this is airing, I believe, on your birthday. Is that right? Yes. Is my birthday on a Monday? Hold on. It sure is. Wait a second. We're recording this ahead of time. Yeah, we sure are. But as this airs, this is my 44th birthday. Happy birthday, Kate. Thank you so much. Um, Again, as you know, I don't really know how to celebrate birthdays. Yeah. But I am very happy to get to be here for another one. That's for sure. Yeah. And shout out to all my fellow cancers out there. All you little summer birthday people, Mm -hmm. but specifically the cancers, the the Leos and the Geminis, like I see you, I honor you, (laughs) but really the cancers are the heart of summer. Yes. We are the meat. We are the cancers and Leos. Get out of there, Leos. They're the tail end. They're that August heat. They're that fiery. Wow. It's July. Cancers are mostly July. Okay. All right. Oh, although I guess if you're down under. Oh, or yeah. the heart of winter. Yeah. That throws me for That's a freaking loop. Yeah. Yeah. Or South Africa. I mean, there are many places where. Sure. Yes. Where it is winter right now. And we see you. We do. Well, shall we get to our guest? Let us get to our guest. All right. Look, this was very exciting when we got the email proposing that we speak to Rachel Cargill. Ugh. About her whole life, but specifically her new incredible book called A Renaissance of One's Own, which is just fantastic. It's so good. I don't even know what to say about it other than you need to read it. And I I read it and listened to the audiobook, which Rachel... Um, overachiever much? You know what? I'm a... Oldest daughter, and I like to show it off. <laughs> um, I love audiobooks, and I like sometimes I'll read a little bit and then I'll go over and listen and stay listening. But anyway, she narrates the audiobook, and it was just, it's fantastic listening well, to her. And as you'll hear, she just has really great energy. Yes. Like, mm. so just pick it up in whatever capacity appeals to you. Um, let us tell you about Rachel. Rachel is an Akron, Ohio-born writer, entrepreneur, and philanthropic innovator. In 2018, she founded the Loveland Foundation, a nonprofit offering free therapy to Black women and girls. She has an incredible umbrella company called the Loveland Group, which houses a collection of her social ventures, including The Great Unlearn, a self-paced donation-based learning community, The Great Unlearn for Young Learners, which launched in 2022, and Elizabeth's Bookshop and Writing Center, which is a literary space designed to amplify, celebrate, and honor the work of writers who are often excluded from traditional, cultural, social, and economic and academic canons. She's also a regular contributor to Cultured Magazine, Atmos Magazine, and The Cut, and has been featured in The Washington Post, The New York Times, Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, and the New Yorker. And it was an incredible privilege and thrill to get to speak to her and to dig in more to her story and her life. And again, her book is just phenomenal. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Rachel. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. 
Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling superpower short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get oh, into okay, it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just, like, sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. Once you once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos And like within a few weeks, I had done a consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a tretinoin gal. I love the tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, 
can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Well, Rachel, welcome to Forever 35. We are both so excited to have you here. Um, We loved your book. We cannot wait to really dig into it. And we want to ask you the question that we ask all our listeners, excuse me, all our guests when we have people on the podcast. Um, We always start by checking in about a self-care practice in their own life, um, which is something you dig into in your book. Um, And so we would love to know what is resonating for you right now as self-care as you consider it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that something resonating for me in this season of life um, really has to do with my mornings, really taking my morning slowly and mm-hmm. with a bit of intention, recognizing the ways that it uh, gives a lot of information to the rest of my day. Um, as a woman who is, um, child free, who lives alone, I think that I have such a specific opportunity for these like slow, simple, expansive mornings. And I don't want to take them for granted. And I've been, um, really cultivating, you know, from the time I wake up through to when I'm ready to start work. Like, how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel in my body? How do I want to feel in my heart? Do I maybe want to spend a few hours just talking on the phone with a friend who also is an early riser before I get into the day? Or do I want to sit in absolute silence and cry on the couch for a while before I get into the rest of what's coming up for me? So uh, right now, self-care really looks like uh, the intention that I've been able to put into my mornings. Can I ask you, I will confess, I, in part of preparing for our conversation, I listened to another interview you did recently where you were describing these mornings and it was so beautiful and so intentional. Was it a process to kind of get to the space where you weren't hopping on your phone, like in your, in bed and feeling rushed to respond to messages or, Is it something that came naturally, like you knew one day this was a change you needed to make? Um, Please note that I'm usually waking up my eyes scrolling and then being like, girl, get up and go do your morning. So it's (laughs) not necessarily that that I have have ascended out of the things that we all normally do. It's really just, and I hope that we all take this intention with self-care, that it's less about doing the things perfectly, but more about the the growth we see in ourselves of getting closer and closer to what we actually want to be doing. It's so silly that with things like self-care practices or even, you know, lifestyle changes that we want to do, there's nowhere in life where we just wake up and we do the thing. <laughs> there's nothing, mm. there's nothing in life where yeah. we just wake up and do the thing. So putting that pressure on ourselves in these ways uh, that we want to grow or change is really unfair and unkind to ourselves. There's a book by a person named Marley Grace and uh, their work, the book is called Getting Back to Center. 
And what I love about their work is that uh, they talk about, you know, when we aren't in our best of places, it's not that we're lost or we're off track. We're just further away from center than we'd rather be. And so mm-hmm. there is value in just getting a little bit closer, even if we don't get all the way there. And getting back to center for me sometimes looks like I scroll for a whole hour and then I get myself out of it. And I'm like, okay, at least I have time for coffee right now by myself, you know, looking at the sun or my um, center is, you know, I'm way closer to center. So I wake up and I make a conscious decision not to pick up my phone and I move, you know, move through all of the things that I said I wanted to do in the morning. So it's less about the fact that I did what I said I would do every single time. It's just sometimes I'm closer to center and sometimes I'm not and both have value. What time do you wake up? Oh my gosh. I get up at like, and it's of no virtue of mine. It's literally just when my body is like, we're yeah. up. <laughs> it's around, I'm usually up around five thirty, six o'clock. But I will say one thing that I've been doing, I did it just this morning. I will wake up and I'll take a moment to like scan my body a little bit mm. and say like, do I need a little more sleep? I think, you know, mm. I think maybe around age 35, we get to this point where our body just like is, it's found its rhythm and what time it's waking up. So it's less when we were in our, you know, teens and twenties and it's like, okay, I'm going to sleep until noon tomorrow. I'll see you all on the right. other side. We kind of, <laughs> we can't control it as much. Yes. And so I've, I've been trying to get back into control of feeling my body when I wake up in the morning. Mm. And so lately I've, like this morning I woke up at 5.30 and I was like, I think I'm still tired. And I got myself to fall back asleep and I didn't wake up till like nine. And I was like, oh, my body actually did need that. Where usually I'd be like, okay, I'm up. I might as well, you know, do this and do that. I've been, I've been honoring when I need a little bit more sleep. Oh, I love that. And that that 630 to nine was a huge gap, but sometimes it's that I'll say I need a little bit more sleep and it's just another 30 minutes or another hour that I end up sleeping. And that's really uh, shifted something. One, trusting myself and like my body knows I will take care of it. And also saying I am giving my body the little extra time it's telling me it needs. And then it shows up for me later in the day when I'm able to have, you know, less fatigue and really able to enjoy my space a bit more. I love that because you 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 said something that i feel like i think about a lot which is well i'm up i guess i might as well like that mm. that phrase might as well i feel like <laughs> trips me up so much because it's like well maybe i might as well just rest a little bit more right. you know why don't we ever say that <laughs> yeah exactly Never. so i i love that you kind of like reframed that um well kate and i both really loved your book i loved the combination of memoir and reflection and then also these really like actionable steps that people can take like i thought the way you guided people there was just so well done and i think probably really helpful for so many people so i'd love to talk about how a renaissance of one's own um just you know for for people who haven't yet read it could you just kind of share a little bit about the book um what you were hoping to kind of get across with it and what it was like to write it and just like the whole process of reflecting on your life so far. 
Yeah, the book is a memoir and a manifesto. And the two prongs of that include me sharing some personal stories from my life that reflect moments in time where I decided to ask the question of like, what else is possible in this moment? What else am I capable of? What else could the world look like? Um, what else might I want or desire or need? And so each chapter goes through different spaces that I did this, including my love life, mm-hmm. uh, in my family, in, in my familial relationships within my own personal education, within my own feminism, within my own relationship with rest. And I think that um, moving through the book with a series of prompts that ask the reader the same types of questions that I was asking myself and inviting them to end the book with a manifesto of their own that mirrors the manifesto that I put at the beginning of the book really allows me to be in relationship with my reader and for you know those who come to the book to not come looking for answers, but to really come looking for all of the questions that they are, that they're finally ready to ask themselves in order to get to, um, a reimagining and a renaissance of their own. Yeah. Well, the manifest, your manifesto, which opens the book. And just so you know, I started reading and then I ended up finishing the book on audiobook. So it, it was such Mm -hmm. a pleasure to get to hear you in your own voice, share your story, Mm -hmm. but the manifesto itself which is the first thing you read is it's so powerful in it's just as it stands alone. I have your book here on a screen, which is why Mm -hmm. I keep pointing at something (laughs) Um, for folks who go through this process of reading it. What does it like, what does a manifesto mean to us as individuals and how has it, and I, I love the way you talk about kind of coming back to your core values and relearning and re-understanding and figuring out what they are. How has this, having this in writing kind of helped you get to know those values better? Mm -hmm. Well, some language I've been using lately is that you know, when we're born, we're put onto this life escalator. We're put onto this quick moving one direction conveyor of what we should be doing, when we should be doing it, how we should feel while it's happening, telling us all of these milestones and points that are societally determined and don't give us much autonomy as to what we actually want to be doing, how we actually want to be feeling and at what pace we want to be going. And so I think that this this idea of the life escalator and the language around that has really allowed me to um dive into the moments where we hop off of it. And, you know, the higher you go on the escalator, the scarier it is to look over the edge and be like, wait, am I ready to get off of this thing? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I think that to, to connect that to your question directly, that a manifesto is an opportunity to build your own staircase for how you're moving through life, as opposed to moving on this life escalator that is handed to us. And with the manifesto going through all of the really important pieces of my own life, I'm able to give language and specificity to how I want to show up in the world. And with that language and specificity, I can have strong yeses 
purposes and strong nose to what I want to be doing, how I want to be spending my time, my money, my energy, my resources. And a manifesto uh, gives us some calibration, reminds us of that center, um, you know, redirects us back to our staircase in order to make sure that when we're moving through the world, we are moving as our chosen selves. Um, mm. And I think that that is our best service to the world to be showing up with the type of, um, you know, joy and energy and intention and passion that can only come with living a life that you have chosen, not one that was chosen for you or placed upon you. And I hope that as people read the book and at the end of it, they are able to string together their own manifesto, even if it will, the manifesto might get stronger as you find more language for yourself and what your desires are. The manifesto might get longer as you discover more things. It might get shorter as you start to kind of pare down, you know, the juiciest parts of what you know you you want to be spending your time and effort doing. And it's not that this document, you know, this manifesto, this language for yourself is something that is defining, but it's guiding. And often guidance gives us the motivation to, to keep moving forward. And so I, um, I feel, uh, very much so that the manifesto is something that you can read through when you need a reminder of yourself, that you can show to people when you want them to know a little more about you, uh, that you can go in and, and change when you feel yourself shifting and not feel like, wait, who am I? It's like, okay, let me write this into what I understand about myself. Yeah. I love that because your book felt to me like permission you, like you giving yourself permission to shift and change and and kind of observing how you have done that and it just spoke to me on a level of you know the idea of a manifesto is fluid right it's it's ever changing you've changed and there's so much reflection on that and i just it found it felt very profound and also like you are approaching your own life with a lot of grace which i found just really moving yeah thank you can oh sorry, Dora, you go ahead. Um, well, I was just <laughs> I was just going to ask um, if we could talk about kind of some of these pivotal moments in your life when you realized that you needed to make a change, um, and then you did it, which is you know I think for a lot of people is really hard to kind of wrap their heads around, um, and so I was hoping you could maybe talk about one or two of those moments. And if you have advice for people who are kind of paralyzed by the idea of making these sort of big life changes. Hmm. Well, one of them that I talk about in the book, one of the biggest ones certainly was my divorce. And being in a situation where you're celebrated, where you've been told that this is where you're supposed to find the most joy mm-hmm. and uh, where you, you know, you get oftentimes positioned into the space of no longer um, being able to tune into your personal desires and you kind of can get, you can kind of get lost in ways that I uh, experienced in my own marriage that I've heard other people talk about. And when you're not within a, um, you know, a partnership where you feel strong and excited and, um, you know, 
grounded, then that doesn't just mean the relationship isn't good for you. It's probably not good for the other person to be in a space where they're not with someone who feels those things. And so I was making my decision to get a divorce. One, I was trying to consider what's the kindest thing I can do for me and this man. It is Mm. not kind for me to insist that he be in a relationship with someone who's questioning him. It is not kind for me to insist that he stay somewhere where the person who he feels very sure about is unsure about him. That's just unkind. It's also unkind for me to position myself in a place for the sake of others, others being perhaps the church we were involved in. Uh, my, my mother, who was so proud of the fact that I had gotten married, you know, our friends mm. who were so excited because they were yearning for something that we already had. And so having to willing, a, a willingness to step away and be kind to myself and say, okay, what do you need? Um, is one of the big parts of it. But I also think, and it's, it's, it's something that's said often is things are going to be hard either way. Either you're going to have a hard mm. time making the shift and moving into something yes. new and the hardness of a new beginning, or you're going to have to sit with the hard of staying somewhere that doesn't serve you. Yeah. And that will, that will continue to suffocate what you think that, um, you should be experiencing in life. And so as we're all making these big shifts and decisions, I encourage you one to remember that it's going to be hard either way. You get to one of the, one of the, uh, wonderful things about, uh, the living is that you get to choose your hard sometimes. And so I am going to choose the hard of the work that it takes to make sure that I'm well, the work that it takes to work to, um, you know, build out my happiness, the work that it takes to create a lifestyle that really serves me and allows me to serve others. Because there's also what many people have experienced, which is the hard of silence, the hard of regret, the hard of, uh, discomfort, the hard of uh, perhaps lying to yourself and others, whatever the hard thing is. This isn't just talking about a divorce and relationships. It's talking about staying in work you don't enjoy, staying in a location where you feel like you should be exploring. Um, There are many ways that we have these tiny moments of uh, perhaps like self-betrayal that build up Mm. over time. And I think that when we when we relate to ourselves with a kindness, with the same type of kindness we would to other people, you know, often we stay somewhere because we're being loyal to something. And I wonder what it would mean if we consider that loyalty to ourselves and how much more bigger and, and how much bigger and how much more authentically we would be able to show up in the world. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my (sighs) neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product 
to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I love this idea of the of really thinking about what what would kind of the kindest move be and I think it it requires this level of like radical honesty with yourself that is sometimes hard to access mm-hmm. um and sometimes something that I was really kind of impressed by in your book was how how honest you were with yourself throughout the book um and maybe that was the benefit of hindsight, you know, with you, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't feel honest with yourself at the time, but at least that was what I got out of your book. Um, just an incredible kind of self-awareness that I know I struggle with and I'm sure a lot of people do. So it was just something that really, um, yeah, really moved me. So, <laughs> um, so you also talk a lot about how you kind of spent a long time um, learning about feminism and developing these talks and kind of curricula about feminism um, and white feminism. And you had a talk called Unpacking White Feminism. Um, and then you had a realization that it this wasn't serving you um, and it wasn't serving, I guess, Black people and that you had to kind of focus on um, black people and black black feminism. Am I kind of am I representing your journey accurately? Um, yeah, I just was a lot of the work that I was doing in in the world of anti racism was in educating white people with yeah. where I was finding ignorance in their understanding of one their privilege of the stru- the racist structures and in how all of that was showing up within the feminist movement. And I made a decision that um, 
I had to choose how I was going to do my work. And, and it wasn't that I wanted to move away from the work I was doing, but I had to find a new way to do it because it was weathering my nervous system and it was exhausting Mm. me. And I also wasn't finding a high use of my skills and my talents, such as writing. I can't imagine spending a whole life writing about how to about you know me hoping white people will care enough right. to keep us alive when I could be writing a book like the one I wrote that really um, celebrates the celebrates and finds ways to continue to care for uh, the black community. Could you talk a little bit about your knowledge empathy action framework, kind of in that context? Yeah, so knowledge, empathy, action was a framework that I, that came to me while I was touring my unpacking white feminism lecture, and I was trying to consider ways to um, insist that the white people who were learning from me didn't take anti-racism work as a, you know self-help opportunity, Mm -hmm. this opportunity to feel better about themselves and how they're existing in the world, as opposed to actually digging into the work that needs to be be done personally and structurally. And so knowledge represents the need to gain firsthand understanding. I did some research. I was studying at Columbia for a while, and I would look into my syllabus and I would actually look up the photos of the authors. And I would ask my professors, like, why do you think white men are giving us all the information we need about this Mm. topic? You know, looking at ways that we take knowledge from colonial frameworks, um, even when learning about a minority community or even learning about a, um, a, different experience. We're still learning about that experience from often white male people. Um, And often in the media or in other spaces, rarely is information firsthand. Um, I was looking up Kwanzaa books and I couldn't find any books about the African-American holiday of Kwanzaa that were written by an African-American. For some reason, publishers could only find white authors to speak to this experience that they're not even a part of. And so I put knowledge as the first part to insist that people get firsthand knowledge from the people who are who are experiencing the thing that they're looking to learn about and that's not this all of this doesn't even have to just do with race it has to do with with ability it has to do yeah. with um the experience of someone um who has immigrated it has to do with the experience of a refugee you know it has to do with learning about other cultures there's also empathy. And I was really disenchanted by this idea, uh, particularly as it was showing up on social media of, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I'm sorry you're going through that. And I needed white people to not just say, I'm sorry for what you're going through, but I wanted them to ask themselves, how do I, how does the way that I live affect what you're going mm-hmm. through? How does what I do in the world affect what you experience in the world? And that was necessary for the white feminists who were coming to listen into my Unpacking White Feminism lecture to recognize that the things that were happening to Black people within these structures and within these spaces weren't just falling out of thin air. They had to do with how they were living and how they moved through the world that had an effect on how other people were able to experience the world. Um, and then action, moving us away. We can't intellectualize race. It's not something to just learn about, to understand. There has to be action and there has to be change, or this is just a study group. We need to mm. be able to shift into uh, intention. And at my lectures, I would always get 
you know, the question of how do I make sure that my kids are anti-racist? And I would often ask, like, has your kid ever seen a black person in your home who wasn't working for you? Has, do, does your child understand that, you know, do you, do you respect people of other cultures? Do you, you know, what does your professional world look like? Who sits at your dinner table? this is a way that the action has to show up in your world. How do they hear you talk about other races? Mm -hmm. What books are on your shelf to prove to them that other voices matter? These are all actionable items that actually represent moving through the world with anti-racism as opposed to simply studying it. I, I, you know, throughout the book, you share about your experience going viral um, after the Women's March, a photo of you going viral at the Women's March and being called in on participating in white, in kind of the construct of white feminism and how this call in really changed the course of your life in many ways, um, perhaps both internally and, and externally. Um, and I've, I found it really, impactful in the ways in which you kind of model what it looks like to quote unquote be called in and the way in which you received it. Um, because I know, you know, I'm speaking as a white person, like we often meet the call-ins that we are approached with, with a lot of defensiveness. Um, I know I personally have, um, do you feel like, and this has resonated with me and I don't know if, if this, the idea of knowledge and empathy and action can be applied in this way, but is that kind of something when someone is called in, uh, are these kind of tools that they can employ or you suggest that they employ to kind of reflect on what they are being called in about as opposed to our, our urge to just be like, no, 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 not me. I'm not this. I'm not that. I, I wouldn't participate in this way. Yeah, well, there's a lot of language that I share in my book about what often happens when there is an opportunity for you to recognize your privilege in a space. It's really yeah. hard for us to recognize it. One, because, you know, the person who has a breathing mask doesn't recognize that it's hard to breathe underwater. They're not going to look around yeah. and wonder, you know, if anyone else is having the same, you know, the same privileges as them. And so, um, you know, it, it is always going to be a startling moment when you recognize mm. that, mm. that, you know, you have a privilege and that privilege is affecting how other people live, especially if that, if the oppressed people have always been right there in front of you, if you have been so privileged that you don't even mm. notice them. And yeah. that is part of the issue. Um, this recognition that you know, you, you live with so much comfort that you haven't even had to look around and make considerations of what other people are experiencing. And knowledge, empathy, action is exactly, is, is a very good framework for approaching this. What, what is the person who is calling me and telling me? Not what I think they might be saying, what me and my friends have mm. conferred. They might have said what I make up in my head to make me feel about what they said. Like, what are they saying? And how can I be accountable for the realities? of how I exist in the world that are true to what they're saying, even if I haven't recognized them yet, or even if I don't recognize them, how curious can I get about what they're trying to express to me? And then with that information, what can I do to be an accomplice to them not having to experience this any longer? And I think that if everyone took that individual approach, whether you've been explicitly called in or not, just because a, you know, just because a poor person hasn't walked up to you and said, how come you haven't shared the 
the wealth doesn't mean that you can't make this consideration yourself totally. with your own critical thinking about how to show up in the world. And so I think everyone, and I even do in my book, take a personal inventory of what are my privileges yeah. and how does the way that I order packages, I order my clothes, I run my water, I travel, how do all of those ways play into the experiences that these people are having and what do I need to change and what do I need to do to support their well-being? Go Can ahead, Katie. Oh, okay. I, well, I, I want to <laughs> ask about being a rich auntie supreme because I, I really love the way you speak about being child-free. Even just using the term child-free was really stood out to me in your work because in my brain... I think I'll always say childless. And I don't know if that was a conscious choice of words, but it was really impactful to read child free. And mm. you have this wonderful community that you have created and this a beautiful identity of what it means to be an auntie to these children in your world and your community. Um, and I would just love for you to kind of speak to, to that and maybe also to the joy of that, because I, still the framework with which we discuss folks not having children is often so seen as such a negative and you approach it with like such celebration. And I know there are other people, there are people listening who are also child-free and loving it. And I, I, mm -hmm. I'm just thrilled to see that represented more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to speak to the language, I think that I did make considerations of exactly what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And, you know, this goes along with what we were speaking about earlier, the life escalator. You know, mm. motherhood is definitely a step along that way. And not only is their motherhood to you know, motherhood's supposed to be automatic for anyone who is born and, you know, born with a uterus and like, okay, as soon as you're born, we're waiting for you to have kids. But also that's also supposed to be the space where you find like supreme joy. Like you're supposed mm. to be excited about it and you're supposed to love it every day. And you're supposed to, you know, be your best self in this space. And so removing myself from that expectation um, I had to, you know, look at the language specifically one as a writer and someone who is very in tune with language, but also the truth of what I wanted to experience with this decision in my life. And, uh, the language of childless one, um, maybe makes the assumption that something is missing, that you have less than what you were supposed to have, or there is a lessening to your experience beca because you don't have this thing. And yeah. I think free for me, one speaks to the decision. It was a, it was like a freedom based decision that I have made the decision that I would like the particular type of freedom that comes from not having a child. And so that is a freeness, but also that, um, if it was something that was to come, it would be like a bonus. It wouldn't be the thing that completed me. It would just be something mm. that comes along as a decision that I made. And so I think that child-free is the, is the most accurate language for what my experience of making the decision is. And I think that, um, 
I do step into it as a space with joy because I see, uh, not because, but in the same way that I see my friends who have made the wonderful decision to have children and who get to celebrate it with baby showers, with announcements, with uh, groups and community. I think that every human deserves that in the decisions that they make because there's so many of us making the same various decisions in the world. And so I too wanted to have celebration and community and milestones in um, mm. this decision that I've made. And I think also recognizing the stigma of it and the platform that I had, I felt like uh, this thing that was personal also could become part of my work, this place that I wanted to help people explore possibility and to recognize um, the structures of the world and how we get to make decisions for ourselves. And that when we make decisions for ourselves that are true to our values and true to our desires, it means that we can show up in more full ways. And that's also a part of this space for me is that um, as I was looking for other communities of people who had decided not to have children, a lot of them sat in this space of like not liking children. And that just wasn't the case mm. for me. Like I, I'm not having children because I don't like children. Right. I'm not having children because I don't want the lifestyle of being a parent, but I was a nanny for most of my 20s. I've been in relationship with raising many children. I have my own nieces and nephews. I'm having the best time as my friends have their kids and finding ways to be in relationship with their child. And so I wanted to um, foster this space of those who have decided not to have children and those who uh, look forward to the ways that this decision allows us to be in relationship with other children. Um, and so the Rich Auntie Supreme community came out of, you know, being rich, not only in oftentimes the disposable income that comes with not having to pay for school or clothes or diapers or food for children, but also the richness that comes from the richness in time that I have that speaks to my earlier comment that I decided to sleep in a few more hours, right. the richness in spontaneity of, you know, midweek trips without consideration of school days or where someone else has to be um, to meet, you know, school commitments or sports commitments. Um, the richness of perhaps emotional space. I know a lot of times parents are overwhelmed with showing up for possibly multiple children uh, and their needs and emotions. And so it's, you know, an honor and a joy to step in, to be able to listen, to be able to help um, a child in my life walk through things. Um, but also, yeah, like I said, also the richness in the disposable income of like, I love the opportunity to do the back to school shopping or to pay for the summer camp that's going to happen that summer um, in my role as auntie. And it's been a really um, wonderful space that I'm grateful for uh, the experiences and language of everyone who pours into the conversations that we have on the social media page. And I love to see this conversation of the option of being child-free um, being had more and more in the world. Um, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about the role of rest in your life, um, which you write about really nicely in the book, um, mm -hmm. how you kind of came to the realization that you wanted to incorporate more rest into your, into your day to day, into your kind of life as a whole and what it really means for you to, um, kind of bring more rest into your life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that after 
the anti-racism work specifically that I was doing in 2017, 18, 19, and especially in the midst of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd and a lot of the racial uprisings that were happening. And I was really, uh, you know, all in energetically and emotionally and, uh, you know, with the work that I was doing. And I think that a lot of my, my work right now looks like the ways that I am doing exactly what I want to do. You know, mm. we just talked about being child free and that centers in me making a conscious decision about how I want to show up in the world. And one of the ways that I've been describing rest recently, it's while it certainly includes the opportunity to rest my body and to, uh, sleep, you know, the ways that our bodies recover during sleep, the ways that, um, just laying down and resting and remember that I, that I am worthy outside of production. For me, the definition of my, my definition of rest also includes me resting in the fact that I'm doing the things that I want to do. And mm. I think there's a particular exhaustion that comes from feeling like you're on a hamster wheel of societal expectation. Um, either feeling like you're not enough based on what society says you should be doing, feeling like you have disappointed people who have expectations of you, feeling like you've, you've disappointed yourself because you're not meeting these, you know, incredulous goals that might not even mm. align with your desires. There's yeah. a particular exhaustion that I'm speaking to that comes from not living from a space of authenticity. And I think that my conversation of rest these days is rooted in what does the body feel? What does the heart feel? What does the mind feel? What type of rest comes when you're doing what you want to do, when you're doing the thing that you feel passionate about? Um, and not passionate as in this is the one true thing you're supposed to be doing, but this is the thing that feels good to me and aligns with my values. And um, while there, the conversation in the book around rest certainly has to do with the physical component and the intention of um, really just slowing down, uh, I think like philosophically right now, my mind is really uh, sitting with what rest comes to me when I'm doing the thing that I want to be doing. Mm, that's really powerful. Um, well, Rachel, we've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you Same. for taking Thank the time. Um, where can our listeners find you if they want to follow along with your work, read your book, etc.? Yeah, so much of my work exists um, within my social media platforms, Instagram, uh, rachel.cargill. And at the link in my bio, you can find uh, whatever's going on for me, whether I'm leading a workshop or doing a keynote. You can find the link to my book. You can donate to my foundation. You can uh, see what I'm writing about these days. So yeah, I'll see you over on social media. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so you. much. Well, Dory. Yes, Kate. I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. I just really, really enjoyed that conversation. And Same. I, 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 I could like sit and listen to that book again. Maybe I will. That does seem like a book that you could like reread every year. Yeah. And get, and get so and much out of get every so time. Get so much out of it and like redo the exercises and just kind of see where the changes are. Oh, that was a real pleasure. Hmm. We're in an intense. We are. But you know what, Kate, before oh, we yeah. do that, we mm -hmm. forgot to let people know 
Oh, we got so swept up. We got so swept up that they can visit our website, forever35podcast.com for links to everything we mentioned on the show and follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast. Our Patreon is going strong. We've chosen the first TV show that we are going to watch for our new season one podcast. It's going to be a lot of watching. And it is The O.C. Which is the first season of the OC is twenty seven episodes. <laughs> do 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 California. I've never seen the OC. Oh, I'm so excited for you to see it. Is it going to feel so dated and so two thousand and like four ish? Yes, it's very two thousand four ish. So many like handkerchief crop tops. Yes, yes. I mean, it it really because I rewatched some of it not that long ago. And I was like, oh, this is, I mean, I still love it. It's very of its time. Doesn't Olivia Wilde play like a sultry? She sure does. Queer bartender? Um, I forget if she is queer. Sorry. But she's a sultry bartender. She's a sultry bartender. Um, I'm really... But I don't think she's in the first season, so I no, don't think maybe we'll get like to her. Third or fourth, okay. Yeah, well, that's okay. I I know nothing. I know like the actors from the OC. Yeah, but I have truly. I'm so excited to rewatch it with you. I'm really <sighs> excited for this. So you can join our Patreon again. That's at Patreon.com/slash/Forever35. If you join at the five dollar level, you get access to all of our Patreon content, including season one. So join us over there. If you join at the $10 level, you also get ad-free episodes of these episodes, the ones that you're hearing right now, the ones that show up on the main feed. You can get ad-free versions of those at the $10 level. And of course, you get the Discord, you get merch discounts. There's there's a whole lot of other fun stuff on the Patreon. All right. But please do call and text us at 781-591-0390. You can email us at forever35podcast.com. Kate, let's talk about our intentions. All right, Dory. Okay. So last week, I had said I'm going to stick with my journaling, my 750-word mm-hmm. journal. I am doing it. I'm going to do it after we record today. You're like kind of selling me on this. It's definitely a commitment. Yeah. It's more work than I thought it was going to be. Right. Not more work, but just it takes time. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I... Like, cause I do my one line a day journal at night mm-hmm. before bed. And mm-hmm. that's when I've already like put away my, well, I still have my iPad, but I like read on my iPad, but I think that would be like when I would journal and the thought of just like getting my computer out is, I think it has to be a morning, like a daytime yeah. practice. I'm trying to do it when I first wake up. That's my intention is really to kind of, that's smart. Yeah. Okay. And then this week, my intention is to write some love letters to my some close friends. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have this little like little stationary set that I bought in Arizona in the Grand Canyon. And I bought it with the intention of sending them notes on it, but I haven't done it yet. So I would like to do that. You know, ever since one of our first guests, Danielle Henderson mm-hmm. talked about I'll how never she hand writes letters. I've always been like, I want to do that. And I'm like, I never do. You know what? I have done it a little bit more recently and it's really I love doing it. And then it's such an extra special treat when like somebody writes you back. Totally. It's really nice. 
So that's my plan. How about you? Well, Kate, last week I was going to try to be chill about travel. Are you feeling chill because you're about you're you're heading there? I'm feeling a little more chill. If you know, I know you read my newsletter. To, uh, oh my came god, out it made me laugh so hard about, <laughs> about travel anxiety. Can I say something? If yeah. you don't subscribe to Dory's newsletter, <laughs> you're missing out. This is not a plug that um, Dory knew I was going to make. Uh, no, but I didn't. I, look, I spend a lot of time with you, and like you're my in real life friend. I talk to you. And I still can't get enough of this newsletter. Oh, Kate, that's I try so to nice. Make sh- I try to read it every time it comes in my inbox. Sometimes I let them build up, but I was reading it this morning and like cackling to myself. Well, I also think if if you know me IRL, it's probably funnier, even because like it's funny you say that because I was sorry, and this is we did not mean to do this, but this is an aside that. I've been doing this newsletter for over a year and mm. I feel like it, it's only been very recently that I've sort of like hit my stride. It seems like you are speaking in a more authentic voice. Is that I think that is okay accurate. to say? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, thank you to everyone who who believed in me, oh. who who subscribed from the beginning and has like bore with me, bared with me. Sure. Um, either one works yeah. for me. Um, because I do feel like it took me a while and maybe that's what happens when you don't have an editor and you're just kind of like, yeah, you're kind of figuring it out for yourself. But, um, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. And I did feel like the issue that came out, well, now it will have come out like a week and a half ago. Um, I was like, this is very me. So you talk about (laughs) how you wanted to buy yourself. (laughs) an elevated travel outfit yes but they are expensive very expensive you do not have the money to burn on those things right now i do not so you made your own cool travel pants i did tell us how you did that well kate i took a measuring tape Mm -hmm. and well first i tried on these sweatpants that i had from target that were kind of like flares Mm -hmm. cute that but were long. Cute, but always a little long on me. Okay. And so I feel like I didn't, I never wore them as much as I should have because every time I wore them, I was like, these are a little too long. And then I was like, oh my gosh, these pants that I've been scouring the internet for, like literally, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this as someone who hyper focuses. Oh, yes. Like for hours, I was like looking at sweatpants. Most of which cost more than $100. And I was like, this is bananas. Like, is this what sweatpants cost now? Some of them had unfinished hems. And I was like, what? Anyway, it was actually the ones with the unfinished hems that made the light bulb go off in my mm-hmm. brain because I was like, oh, I can just cut these Target sweatpants. And I did. And I really like them. You sent us a photo and I was like, Oh, I would pay money for these Dory sweatpants. Right. Yeah. They looked great. Thank you. So I wrote about that. I think it's on a further episode. I would like to get into the like psychology of why we all feel like we need travel outfits now. Well, I blame influencers. A hundred and ten percent. And which for that we can blame capitalism, which seems totally. to make sense. You know, it's funny, I got a text from a friend who said loving your travel outfit post and then they said that they had bought 
the travel set that I that you link to, which I have looked at so many times. The expensive yes. one. And then I click on the price tag and, Frank I, and I, yes, I recoil and run away. And she but said, woof. so I bought the Frank and Eileen mm-hmm. travel set because I was having all of the same thoughts and then I returned it. <laughs> oh my God, really? And I was like, I feel vindicated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I was really happy to receive that text. Well, I think it is a good point in that we can always try to look to what we have first. Yes. And see what we can do with the things that we already own. Yes. And sometimes the things that we own can be modified. Yes. So anyway, this week we have less than a month to go before my husband turns 40. Oh my God. It's 40 this year. It's 40. Matt's turning 40. Matt's turning 40. That's a big one. It's a big one. Oh, happy birthday, Matt. So, you know, I think if we had more money i would like take him somewhere but right now we're kind of broke so we can't really do anything so i'm trying to think of like ways i can make his birthday feel special Mm -hmm. without spending a lot of money can we have a party yeah can it be like a big beach party does matt like matt does not love the heat okay so we want to keep it cool okay so not the beach (laughs) but an inside you could do something something air conditioned conditioned. okay so think of something please and uh you let me know okay um he's kind of like you i think yeah that like you know i share a lot of similar anxieties yeah. yeah um so it's it's a little hard to think about, but you know, we'll figure something out. Okay. Oh, happy birthday, Matt. Oh. Husband of the pod. Hus- pod husband. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrier and Kate Spencer. Produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, our network partners, ACAS. And Matt is a Leo. So technically a summer birthday. Yes. I will honor it. Thank you. I will honor it. Okay. Bye, everybody. 